Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Um, Our focus this morning, as I had been thinking of how to help us in this area of discipleship, um, we have begun in Bible study um, going through a, I want to say series, going through a topic of idols of the heart. And we've begun that in detail, talking about how, I mean, how to uncover and how to destroy and how to make sure that we don't replace God with those idols on a continual basis. And this morning, I really wanted to lean into that some without going into that message, but I'm going to take you to the book of 1 John. It is a familiar text. Do not let the familiarity of it cause you to tune out, because what I will always say to you, if you know the text, how much does this text know you? How much is this text being expressed in your life? And so if you ever see a text and you say, I know this, I'm going to tell you what you uh, what my mother used to say to me when I told her I know, although, how, although, you know, ever respectfully, I would say I know, and she would say, well, there's no change, which she was telling me, I, I, all of what you know hasn't caused any difference in your life. And so this morning, um, I want us to be challenged with that. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17, three short verses. And I'm going to ask you today a question, which is the title for our message today, Where is Your Love? Where is Your Love? Before I get started with that, many times when things in life, when God allows or when life snatches things away from us or we are reduced to very little, it kind of helps us to clarify that question of what was important. In our study, I talked about that some these idols of the heart and how to uncover them. And one of the things that I shared was this back during the financial crisis. And I'll just tell you, you'll say, which one? Choose one. Whether it was the crash of 1929, whether it was what they call that Black Monday of 1989, or whether it was the more recent ones that we've had with the real estate bubble crashing in the subsequent recession in 2008. What it did is that it caused many people to see that their love was based on the financial markets. And some people couldn't handle it and did some things permanently because what they uncovered, where their love was, where their hope was, couldn't stand up to what was happening in their world and in life. And so it, 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 it uncovered an idol of the heart. Some people learned and turned. Some people learned and ended their lives. Some people didn't know what was happening, and then after it finished, they thought, oh, that was just a hiccup only for it to happen again. And only for it to happen again. And guess what? If you think this is the last time, whether you get to live through it or not, whether it happens at some time after the Lord takes you home or your life here on earth is done, it's going to, some form of crisis is going to happen again because that is our world. And if you are banking on a crisis less, I know that's not a word, world, you are banking on an unsure future. 
We know by living in our world that crisis happens, and what it tends to do is uncover where our hearts are. Where is your love? We're going through a crisis right now. We're, we're, we're feeling some of it indirectly, but boy, we are not in the center of it. We have folk and some of our own brothers and sisters in the faith in the Ukraine are going through it right now in what's happening in their country. And I've heard tons of stories as I've watched over the days and people that said that I've been at a point where I was just, you know, going to work and going about my business and all of that changed. It just seems like overnight. And if you've seen the before and after pictures, buildings before, buildings after, cities before, cities after, drastic change, and people's lives are turned upside down, many of those lives are over. But what it's also doing still is uncovering for them and for us as we watch And that conversation starts to come up of, are we seeing the introduction to World War III that no one wants to hear or think about? It begins to uncover where is your love? What is important to you? What is ultimately important? Where does your hope rest? And I want to even ask that question. Are there any idols that have crept up? If you are honest, as it has been said, the human heart is an idol factory. We are always fighting, creating idols. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for folk in the Ukraine. I just want to have a short time of prayer but then to bring us back in focus so that regardless of what happens, and we'll look at this text and what was happening here, that we can answer that question with confidence. I love that last song. I will remain confident in this. Because regardless of what happens, you can remain confident. You can know where your love lies. And thus you can have a settledness and the peace and the hope, regardless of what's happening around you. That's what God intends. Can you stand with me, please, as we pray? As a matter of fact, here's what I'll do first. Let me read our text first, and then we'll pray after, and we'll have that on our mind. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, I'm reading from the ESV, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, you alone are God. Lord, you have existed from eternity past and into eternity, future and our very present currently. In other words, you've always existed. You are the everlasting God. And we are so grateful, God, that we can belong to you. We thank you, Lord, as I have heard it said, Father, that we are not the center of your story. Father, but we can thank you, those that have trusted you, that you are the center of ours, or you want to be. Father, our hearts hurt as we watch the news and the devastation caused from an evil heart that would overrun a people without care 
of those that it runs over. The bombings, my God, of civilians, of hospitals, and of other places within the Ukraine. Lord, it is burdensome. And yet you call us to give that to you. You see, Father, you've heard the cries. You know what's going on. You are not sitting by idly. You were already and have been at work even when we can't see. We thank you that you are the living God. But, Father, our hearts still hurt. As we watch this country go through what it's going through, and Father, we pray for your hand of mercy, your hand of grace. Father, that in this first, that many would come to know you. Father, that many would see, Lord, that you are their only hope in all of life. And I pray for your hand of grace and mercy, Lord, that you would stay, God, the pain and the devastation. Lord, your will is in place, and you are allowing what you choose to allow, but we pray for your hand of mercy to comfort the believers and others, Father, that are on the ground, the people of the Ukraine in general. I pray that you, O oh God, would allow the relief that others are providing the hit, but Lord, our desire is that this would end, but Lord, we are on your timing. Father, we don't have to ask you to intervene. You're intervening already. But Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us, Lord, to be able to continually lean in to pray and to help however we can. But I pray also that we would take a look at our own lives, O oh Lord, and begin to look at what is valuable to us if everything was stripped away. We had a taste of it during this pandemic which we seem to be coming out of by your hand of grace and mercy. But Father, I pray that we do not forget what you reveal to us about our hearts and our lives and about our priorities during these last two years. I pray, oh Father, that we would not forget. And Lord, that we would learn and would turn to you based on what you revealed to us. Father, we pray again for the saints in Ukraine that they would stand up in faith and in hope and in love, knowing that you see and care. I pray that they will sense your very presence. And then I pray, God, that relief would come, that peace would come. I pray first for peace in the hearts of men as they come to know you. And then, Lord, we do pray for peace in this region, in this country. Father, I pray as we get into your word today that we're honest with ourselves. Father, that we not think this is a message for someone else, but Lord, that we see how this is a message for us. And whatever you show us, I pray that we would allow you to make the changes in us that you are calling for, that we would say yes in obedience and would begin to turn or to lean in more in the ways that you are calling. I pray that it would not just be a good sermon or another sermon, but that, Lord, it would be a time for you revealing who we are, where we are, and who you are. So we submit to you and pray that any that have come in here this morning discouraged would leave encouraged as they look at you. I pray that those that need your strength would be able to experience it as they turn to you. I pray if there is anyone lost in here today that does not know you, Father, that they would find hope and purpose for life as they turn to you. Father, we thank you that you give us this opportunity to gather. 
I thank you, Lord, for the Carter family, and we continue to pray for them, Lord, as they prepare themselves for this drastic change in life. Lord, you knew this would happen, and you have prepared and are preparing them for it. And I pray, God, that you would continue to help us to rally around them, that they could provide the environment, Lord, that would demonstrate that you are God and that they would come to know who you are, Father, according to your will. And so we surrender to you given us, given you what you are calling us to give. Open our eyes in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Today, as we look at this, I just want to be able to tell you this part. I want, to be, I want you to be able to see today if there was an aim or an argument that I want to be able to bring across to you in the proof, it is that the love of the world is incompatible with the love of God. Have to understand that. We'll talk about what that love means, but that the love of the world, and that's an ongoing, uh, an ongoing thing, that the love of the world is incompatible with the love of God. Here is a text um, within this letter that is showing contrasts and comparisons. And we're going to see that today, and it is meant so that you can make the comparisons that you need to in your own life and can see what the results will be of either, and you choose where you want to lie. Because we know ultimately all of this is by choice. Now, I didn't say that you're going to pull this off on your own. It is by the power of God's Spirit residing and working in you. But all of this, all of the outcomes that, that will happen as a result of what we hear today is by choice. So if, if, if life does not get better, meaning if your choices uh, go further away from God, that is by your choice. But if, if your choices bring you closer to God, again, that is by your choice. Please understand, this is no osmosis ministry happening here. And for those of you who remember that in school, I remember something from that class. It wasn't my best class nor my favorite. But the process of osmosis, it just happens. It comes in. It's just taking in. No, you need to make a choice. And when you make that choice, God acts on that choice. He either ha acts on your behalf or he acts because you are at odds and in opposition to him. And we just need to understand that. It's, it's not a fear-based at all. There's any fear in this, in that you, I mean, and, and accept that God is a living God, and yes, we should fear him. And some people say, no, God didn't want me to be afraid. No, he wants you to understand who you're dealing with. But it is out of love that he does it. You don't need to be afraid to approach him. And so this morning, as we look at it, understand behind all of this is choice. So let's go ahead and jump in. Four things I want to be able to share with you from this. And let's start to read. Do not love the world or the things of the world. John is writing to believers whose theology, whose faith were under attack by those that were trying to say they were not the true spiritual followers of God. And we had what was called these secessionists, these that have broken off from the true faith of God and his word and were claiming to be elite themselves, super spiritual, almost spiritual superheroes. And were claiming that what they believed and what they taught and that they were the elite, that they should be listened to and followed. And John now, toward the end of his life, you are hearing from a seasoned spiritual statesman at this point, 
writes this letter to them, and it is this letter filled with both love and warning. I always love this because at the end of his life, John softened up. You know, this is the same John that talked about burning, you know, I'm bringing fire down from heaven and burning up those sinners that opposed you, Jesus. One of the sons of thunder. He was the one that seemed to have no tolerance for those that opposed. He was one of the originals, turn or burn, baby. He was, come on. If you're not with us, God, in them. Don't laugh because there are some of you like that. I'm telling you, this week I had a conversation with the Lord. I was like, Lord, if this dude is not, you know, if this, if this man, I was referring to Putin, you know if this man is going to come to you or not. If he's not, can you do something with him now? But that was my, not, not my place to say that. So I had to recant that, and God had to check me. But the deal becomes, at times, we have very, you know, very little patience. We are highly impatient, except when it comes to us. And then we want, long, we want the Lord to be long-suffering. We want his mercy to endure forever. And so I look at John, and he starts to write, and he's writing them that they are walking in the truth, that those who are trying to mislead you are not. Prior, he tells them, I'm giving you a commandment that both you've had and it's new because I want it to be lived out in fresh ways. And then he gets into the center of this part of it, before he warns them about that antichrist attitude and spirit that has gone out into the world, he was like, look, I'm not painting a, a, a great picture of the world you live in. I know people around you like, hey, we're growing. It's going to get better. He says it probably won't, but you can. And as we look around our world today for us, he says, look, don't get caught up in what's happening. It may even seem like for you it's going to get better. Man, things are looking up, and that's not a bad thing. But he says, just don't get caught up in it. And he kind of settles them to help them to deal with the onslaught that they're getting to their belief system, to their theology to where they were putting their faith and their trust because it was in the threat of being unsettled. And he turns to them and gives them something that for us, I think, will help us to keep our focus in these times, whether it gets really good or it gets really bad. Here's what he says. First thing, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, this whole do not, that, that, that love that is mentioned here because of the context of the letter, the love that he's talking here is about finding pleasure and finding complete pleasure and satisfaction in the world. That's what he's talking about. So that love here, love he uses in this book, in, in, in his letter, in other ways, here he uses it as you seeking to find complete pleasure and satisfaction in the system of the world. Well, what do I mean by world? In the values, in the, in the way they do things, in the way they go about things. And so all the systems, all the values, all the desires of the world, which is always in opposition to God, he says, don't fall in love with it. Now, why would someone tell you do not love if there was never a possibility for you to love? See, the issue is he knows us. God knows us. 
And the fact is that as we function in this world, because he did not tell us to come out of it, he told us to stay in it. As we function in this world, we can get into places and positions where life is so good, where the system that we're living in is so tight, it is so nice that we begin to love it to the point of we find our satisfaction and our pleasure in where we live and how we live. Now, here's what I'm not saying, that you can't find any satisfaction and pleasure. God gives it to you for that. But it's what we've been talking about at like the last several weeks. And I'll repeat it again. Actual versus ultimate. And this is where we are again. He said, you can actually enjoy all that I'm giving you, but this, what he's talking about here, do not love the world. He's not saying don't love what you have, you know, don't, don't enjoy it, don't find pleasure in it. But this love is this overall total devoted to pleasure and satisfaction from that. See, some of us were there, and when God allowed a job to disappear, we realized how much we were in love with what that job could afford to us or maybe what that position could afford to us, or maybe what that status, or maybe what that crowd that we hung around. You fill in the blanks. What he says to you and I is we can find ourselves in a place where we seek total pleasure and satisfaction in a society that is totally opposed to God, in a system that is totally opposed to God. So you say, so is it possible that I can be in this system? I can work in it. I can find some pleasure in it, but not love it. God says, of course. And that's what he calls the believer too. You are anchored outside of this world. See, when your love is outside of this world system, you can totally operate with freedom in this world system hear that. See, it doesn't matter what position you get or don't get. It doesn't matter the money that you make or don't make. It actually doesn't. It doesn't matter how many friends you have or don't have. What begins to happen is if your love, and I love the song that y'all sang today, I can be confident in this and that this is the Lord. And so what he's saying here is do not love the world. System on a whole, the way they go about it. Work in it, yes. Function in it, yes. Have some enjoyment in it, yes. But don't love it. Don't let it be where you find your satisfaction. Why? He gives you second point. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father not, it is not in him. Understand, here is where the comparison is. He says to you, you can love and find complete satisfaction in this world system, but understand something. You cannot love God at the same time. See, both of these things demand full allegiance. The system of our world, hey, come on, it demands allegiance. It demands you to think of your life and your career according to their standards. Otherwise, hey, it'll say to you, 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 you're just not a team player. You're just not the kind of person we're looking for. Oh, no, we, 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 we can't be around you. You make us uncomfortable. Your values are not our values, so, so, so we're going to kind of sideline you. That may not always happen, but it happens throughout our society at different times. What he is saying is that there are two things happening alongside one another, and they never cross. Love of God, where he, he directs your desires and your pleasures and your satisfaction, and love of the world, where they direct your desires 
your pleasures, your satisfaction. There are two parallel roads that will never meet. I'm not a big math guy, never was, will never be. But I remember one thing about parallel lines. They never meet. They stay parallel, as they put it in math, into infinity. We can use that now. Love of the world and the love of God will never cross. They will go on forever, never being the same. As a matter of fact, you can do it the other way. There are two rows that are completely opposite that will never cross because they're going in opposite directions. And so what he points us to, he says, the love of the Father is not in you. And so the first one says, don't love the world. Why? Because it's opposed to God. Number two, don't love the things of the world. Why? He gives you the reason here. For all, I mean, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, here's it, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So point number one says, do not love the world. Why? Because it's opposed to God. Point number two, don't even love the things that are in it, all the things that make of it. So the big system and all its components, why? Because they're not from God. So he now gave you two things. Not only is it in opposition to where God is leading, what he desires and what he wants from you, the second part is God didn't give it. So its creation, its development was always, it was brought about by and for opposition to God. And so when you and I think that we can bring the two together, we're fooling ourselves. God says you can't. You can't have both because they demand an allegiance of you. And so you need to make a choice. Who am I going to love? Come on. It's like you come and you have that one and only in your life. And if someone else wants to come along, you go, I have that one and only in my life. I can't love both of y'all. And for some of us, sometimes the competition is not human. The competition can be a career. I'm trying to make it ahead for us. No, you're probably trying to make it ahead for you. I'm trying to put us in a better position. Mm, maybe, but at the same time, you're trying to better your position in your mind. Now, again, is increasing in these areas bad? I mean, we've been saying this over and over again. No. But where do they stand ultimately for you? And let me ask you a question. Is what you pursuing drawing you to Christ? Or is it pulling you away? Only you can be honest with yourself about that one. See, if it is pulling you away in your thought life, it is, if, if it's pulling you away in your devotions, meaning who are you being devoted to, if it is pulling you away in your marriage and in your relationships, I'm not talking about you have to spend some time away. No, I'm talking about if it is pulling your heart away from the things that God wants you devoted to, what is it actually doing? Is it what God wants for you? And only you can answer that. So he says, do not love the world. Why? And as opposed to God, nor the things of the world, because they're not from God, and let's look at those things in the world, because the next one will be because of where these things are going or what will happen to one or the other. So the second point, things of the world that aren't from God, what are they? He gives you one big category, and then he subsets it. The big category is for all that is in the world, and now he's telling you what he's talking about the world and the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, general category. The desires of the flesh, meaning, and it, I think it's all but in three texts in the New Testament 
I think it's used almost 30 times. In all but three texts in the New Testament where this word, the love, the lust of the flesh, it's negative. If you were to see the translation, it's talking about the cravings. And, and, and I'm not talking about you kind of have a desire. Have y'all ever craved for something? When I was growing up, we didn't say crave. We said we were fiending. I don't know what the term is right now. But the whole deal was it was more than just a little desire. You couldn't, in your mind, you had to have it, couldn't do without it, or couldn't go long. And we've all had that in some small way or big way. It could be a food. It could be a person. It could be a type of environment. But cravings move us to actions in in, in more drastic ways than just a little desire does. What are you craving? I know White Castle told us what you crave. No, nah, not anymore. Mm-mm. I craved that one time and my stomach said, crave that again. And I was like, never. Sorry, White Castle, I got too old for you. But here, it is, what are you craving? And for some of us, it may not even be, I mean, ultimately, it's not something material, but we think the material will get it. For some of us, we crave peace our way. And so we get on this course to think, to seek those things which we think will bring peace other than a a right relationship with Christ. I seek purpose. Okay, nothing wrong with that. I crave it in an inordinate, ungodly way in that I don't think God is going to fulfill it. So I really don't want to have anything to do with the things of God. Or I'll have God light, you know? That's like having Coke light. There's no such thing. But we think we can. God, I'll sort of have you. I'll come to church. I'll hear the word. have no intention of letting it change my life, but I'll hear the word. I'll be around Christians every now and then. But there, I, I have no real desire for you to make change in my life. So he says, the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, that are those cravings, and those cravings will drive you to something. How are, those crav- how are the cravings of the flesh played out? Two ways he shows you here. The desires of the eyes and the pride of life. The desires of the eyes with a craving flesh is what brings about people coveting things. I want what you have. So you got a big house? I want a big house. I don't care if I can afford it. Now, I'm going to work to I can. Oh, you on the millionaire before 40 list? I want to be on the millionaire before 40 list. So it doesn't make a difference. I'm going to drag my family through the mud. I made it, but I turn around and look at all the bodies in my wake. Now, some of you say, that's not me. Well, let's get on a smaller level then. What are you craving that is being played out by you wanting what you see knowing that what you are craving because of what you see is not what God desires for you, but you want it. We've seen number and number and number of scriptures where people have allowed the desires of the eyes, which is attached to a flesh that is raging, a sinful nature that is raging, and they go after it. And sometimes, you know what? God lets you get it. And then you realize, I really didn't want that. No, well, now you got all the smoke with it. And you pray, God, please help. I I didn't, mm, that's what you wanted. As an old phrase used to say, you, you, you got what you wanted. Now you don't want what you got. See, the issue becomes a flesh uncontrolled attached to eyes that are out of control. And the eyes are it's not, not those things in your head. It's a desire 
to want thinking it will bring satisfaction and gratification beyond what God can do. God's too slow. I'm going after this myself. All right, we'll pray for you, bro. No, really, we'll pray for you because it's about to get ugly. Oh, it may look good, but as far as your spiritual life is concerned, it's about to get ugly. So here's what he says. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, And this is the one that plays out, especially in Western society, but it plays out all over the world. It says, in the pride of life. Some of your versions, NIV, explains it in a little bit more detail. This one is, you you feel this sense of, and it is sinful, pride because of the material possessions that you currently have. And you'll say, no, that's not me. No, we, we, we. you feel some kind of way because of the car that you drive. It attaches to some status for you. You feel some kind of way because of the neighborhood that you live in, or you don't. You feel some kind of way, and you think you've arrived because of the clothes you wear, the kind of job you have, the money you've attained, or you don't. And so, but this pride of life is, is that you feel I have a certain level of success purely on material acquiring. Isn't that what our world is made up of? Look at who is honored in our world. Even when we honor people being great philanthropists, but we honor them because of what the great things they have. See, it is why they turned this eye against Jesus. See, he wasn't what they thought a Messiah should be. He wasn't what they thought God's man should be. And so he didn't come like they thought or like we want. Many of us, we want a Jesus that looks successful. That's what we preach. We don't want a Jesus that suffers. We don't want a Jesus that was made to look like he was. We know already that that was the very reason why the, the, the disciples had such a problem with Jesus. When they saw him crucified, when they saw him die, they did not understand, even though he told them repeatedly, it would happen. Why? Because that's not what a Messiah does in their eyes. According to this world system, come on, you don't let yourself be played like that, Jesus. You don't let yourself be handled like that. Come on down and show yourself to be stronger than that. See, we get the benefit of it today, but if we were around at that time, many of us would have been the same way. Yeah, God's man, right. They said, if, you, if you're the son of God, come off the cross. I really, but hey, they were like, you say you all that, do something. He did, but what he did in their eyes wasn't great. And so for you and I'm saying right now, if, if you look at your life, it doesn't say to get rid of what you have. It just asks you, what place does it have in your life? God says that if I allow it to shift or change, what happens to you? If I allow it to go away or I allow it to increase, what happens to you? For some of us, God allows us to acquire more and we gone. God, I don't need you. In essence, we say, I got all I want. I'm out until I need something. Uh, Jesus, I I can't need your help. Because that's what gets many of us on our knees. See, when life is going smooth, when we are handling our own way every day, some of us, God hardly hears from us. He does. I'm good. I'm cool until I need something. Come on, y'all. It's like them people always come around you when they want something for you. You don't like it either. So he says here, 
This is all that makes up the world. The desires of the flesh, and your flesh is raging and craving, and it needs to be controlled by the Spirit of God if you're going to live for Him. And in those cravings, the desires of the eyes, what you see, you covet, you want it because you, hey, I want to be like that. Not that's what God wants for me. That's not how God wants. I want to be like that. And then we go, yeah, now look at what I got. Or even if we don't brag, we have a sense of settledness. I've got this, so I'm okay. And God doesn't want us to live like that. Financially, you may be okay, but God says, no, 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 no. I want you to understand that even with that, there is work on your life that needs to be done. And then I like what he says, why else do not love the world and oppose to God the things of the world because they're not from God? And then also don't love the world, why? Because it is passing away. It won't remain with God. He says, and the world, verse 17, Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. And that passing away, it is not a one day. The way that text is structured, it is happening continually. There is a continual fading away. There's a continual passing. Those things that you are desiring and that you place your desires, they're fading. They're, not only are they changing, they're fading. They're, they're, even though this isn't an example of fading, I mean, just look how they change. Look how styles change. Look how things come and go. Our world is just like that. Come on, you could have been the coolest dresser 10 years ago. You wear that now. They look at you and laugh. You think something is nice, and, 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 and hey, you, you, you had the cool home, you see this today. Go back to the 70s and look at those cool homes and all the things they had in it. And if that home has not been updated or changed or anything now, you're going to be like, hey, 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 the 70 call, they want their home back. Because we don't see that as cool and nice. If that level of fading happens, how much more the desires that are attached to this. Well, he says they are constantly, they're fading and will one day completely fade. They, it, here's what he's saying, it doesn't hold. And the world is passing away along with its desires. And the last point of it, he says, the reason not to love the world is because it is opposite of what God desires of you. The obedient children abide with God. See, you have this contrast of love of God, love of the world. You have this, uh, you have this contrast of, of fading and abiding, passing away, remaining forever. Remember, John is the one back in his gospel that spent a lot of time talking about abiding with the Father, living with him, dwelling with him that he dwells in and with you. Abiding speaks of living in comfort. You are settled. And so he says that the one who lives in God is settled in Christ. And you go on in that state forever, whether in this body or out of it. And so what people are really seeking, they're seeking that peace that comes from abiding, but they're trying to find it in something in that world system. What they seek is, is, is a... Is a is a purpose that's going to give them meaning in life. It's passing away in the world. You'll, you'll, you'll never find it. He says in Christ, it is always abiding. And so we see here where he points us to have our love. Here's what he says to us. Operate in this world, but don't love it. James 4.4 puts it this way, because you're in opposition to God. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity in opposition with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See the contrast he's saying there. You made yourself that. 
God didn't do it. Your friends didn't do it. That's that choice talking about. You did. He says, whoever seeks to be a friend, you want to be in cahoots and everyone around be cool at the way you set up and the values of your life and everyone applauds you. Man, you doing it. According to this system structure, you doing it. You out of line with God and his value system, but the world, and, 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 and they're applauding you in increasing number. And God says, but for you, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. And it says for you and I now, what do we want? Who do we love? And so today I want us to ask ourselves our question. Where is my love? What am I seeking? What am I wanting to find ultimate pleasure and value in? Because that will determine, that will tell me, that will lead me to further action. Let me ask you this. Are the actions of your life right now displaying the love that God is calling for of him and the valuing of him as you find in Scripture? Are the decisions that you make is a direction that you're going in one in which you can say, this is the result of my love for God? Or are you trying to find peace and just keep God in the mix? Am I trying to find satisfaction and keep God in the mix? Am I trying to find purpose and keep God in the mix? Understand God isn't in that mix. God says all or nothing. And for you and I today, we need to ask ourselves that question, where is my love? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us an opportunity to look in the mirror of your word. Lord, this is sobering so many times because we think we love you. Until, God, you put us in a position where things are taken from us or where we are placed in a position where those things that we've anchored ourselves to and on begin to be unsettled. And when they are unsettled, Lord, we get to that point. We get to that point where we wonder what's happening. Father, that shaking is most likely from you. Shaking us to our core to help us to ask that question and to see where does our love lie. Father, I pray today that you would give us the wisdom to utilize what you have given us and what you have allowed us to acquire to continue, Lord, to function in this world, but help us not to fall in love with it. Help us not to be devoted to it. Help us not, God, to be directed by it. I pray, God, that we would use it for your glory, but that we would not be used by it. I pray, God, that we would be grateful for what you have given us. And, God, that as we continue to acquire things, I pray that it would be within the scope of your will and desire for our lives, that it would not drive us away from you, but it would take us closer to you. May the things that we devote ourselves toward, O oh God, bring our hearts closer to you. And if it draws us away, let us begin to ask some questions. Lord, let the affections of our heart be for you because ultimately we will not find what we deeply desire anywhere else. And worse, we'll find ourselves opposing you. So today I pray, God, that our love would lie with you. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. If it is not with you, may it change. In Christ's name, amen.